0: Welcome to the Immigrant Squared podcast. My name is Anna. I was born in one of the former Soviet republics, raised in a small, yet very unique country in the Middle East, and have been living in the US for almost 20 years. I've always been curious about different languages, cuisines, music, and traditions. I also always had a desire to help people become their best self. I invite you to join me on an adventure throughout the world as I discover immigrants' stories learn about new cultures, and together we find new ways to help immigrants unlock their potential. Welcome to episode number 10 of the Immigrant Squared podcast, the journey from Argentina to running a Mexican restaurant in Colorado. Where is your accent from? Our guest today is Betty Ortiz, who was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and immigrated to the U.S. Betty shares her journey coming to the U.S. with her family how she started in her career as a bilingual teacher. And later her dream came true and she was running a Mexican restaurant. Welcome to the Immigrant Squared podcast. Today we have a special guest, Betty Ortiz. Welcome to the podcast, Betty.
1: Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me here.
0: Thank you for joining. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you um, from and kind of your story?
1: Well, I was uh, born in uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina uh, in uh, 1955. And um, it was, it's always been pretty tumultuous down there. Um, and um, spent the first seven years of my life there. Uh, And in 1962, my mom came home from the deli and uh, all excited. And she said, we're going to the United States. Uh, Of course, uh, my older sister and I had no clue. um, And we didn't speak any other language besides Spanish. Um, So my parents were... um, excited um, for many reasons. Um, they had had an experience uh, with, uh, during the Perón era, yeah. where uh, my dad was um, at the deli also, and made a comment about um, how expensive things had gotten. And uh, that evening, uh, got a knock on the door and um, They took him to jail, Um, not for very long, thank God, but it was such a scare for freedom loving people, I guess.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah. So uh,
0: when did you uh, come to the United States?
1: Well, this November will be 60 years ago in 1962, right? during the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's another whole story. Uh, We had sold everything. My parents had gotten all the paperwork um, and gotten our visas. Um, And it's interesting because uh, we were a family of five, including my grandmother. She, my mother's mom, she lived with us, um, very traditionally Latino. And um, they applied for a visa for my grandmother as well to come with us, but she was originally from Italy and uh, never gotten um, Argentinian citizenship, never bothered to get, um, so uh, when it came down to get visas, uh, we all got visas as Argentines, but my grandmother was told that the Italian quota had been filled. So she was not able to come with us. Mm. We had to leave her behind. Not for long. Uh, We were able to manage to get her um, a visa. Uh, But anyway, those were the, the little blurbs that you go through, I think, as you try to figure out your journey into immigrating into another country. Because it's hard to just take your situation at home and translate it directly to somewhere else. So you go through a lot of transitions and not having my grandmother around was a big deal for us. Um, um, so it was hard to adjust to that. That was just one of the adjustments that we uh, we dealt with when we landed. Um, so we uh, we were getting ready to, to Fly over in November and got a got a telegram from a cousin who was already in the states saying, "Don't come. There's going to be a war," oh, wow. um, because it was right at the standoff of the the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, and I remember just listening. I mean, I was only seven, but listening to my parents talking and uh, my with my uncle whom we were staying with because we had sold everything and we had trunks shipped by boat already on the way to New York, um, and then had this dilemma, and my parents decided, well, if there's gonna be a nuclear war, it doesn't really matter where we are, <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> yeah, <the> point. <laughs> yeah, that is terrible.
1: Yeah, so we, that's what, um, so we landed, um, took a, a plane to, uh, to New York, and stopped in Trinidad. Um, it was one of those propeller planes back in the '60s, um, and landed in New York. And that's where the story starts with our immigration. I mean, um, it was just assimilation of all kinds of um, temperature. It was freezing cold at that time in November, <laughs> and and we, I mean, in Argentina it gets cold, but it doesn't snow. Um, so temperature, flavors, the food was so different, and um, um, language didn't know any English or very little. My both my parents luckily, were bilingual. They My dad's mom uh, was British. So um, he spoke English first. Uh, and my mom had um, learned English also. Uh, she was a bilingual secretary in Argentina, so she, they were all, they were much better equipped than a lot of immigrants who come in and really don't know the language. But my sister and I didn't. So we, um, my parents got us in school and I was put in a a grade above what I was supposed to be in because I was tall, is what they said.
0: That's interesting.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. And then put in the front of the class in a little desk in the corner and just trying to learn by osmosis, really. Uh, There were no programs, no um, anything. It was just, okay. No (laughs)
0: English as a second language
1: classes? No, there were no ESL classes. Well, and that's what motivated me to my first career as uh, as a bilingual teacher. Um, I, um, learned pretty quickly <laughs> and my sister and I progressed through school. We had a lot of support at home, um, and, um, went, um, to, um, living in New York, went to Brooklyn college, uh, which had the first bilingual, um, education program, um, actual degree in bilingual education. Um, So that was really awesome. And I taught taught school in New York um, through the bilingual education programs that had just started because that was in the 70s. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess I was very lucky when I came here almost 20 years ago. There were so many ESL programs. It wasn't only English. It was also like, um, I think it was World History, and biology, they created separate sections for um, students uh, for whom English was a second language. So that's definitely fortunate. What was the um, most, I guess, challenging part for you uh, when you immigrated, other than language?
1: Um, Well, initially, both my parents were working and normally we would have had my grandmother at home so um, it was my cousin of my she was about i want to say maybe 15 years older um she would watch us but it was a totally different home it felt like a different home environment the the, the routine had drastically changed um and um And really being still, you know, not having friends at the beginning uh, because we couldn't really communicate. We moved to a neighborhood uh, where there wasn't much Spanish spoken. Um, It was in Jackson Heights, New York. um, And that's where my cousin had kind of settled. So that's where we went. Um, And, you know, living in an apartment, we weren't used to living in an apartment uh, and so there were so many like little pieces, but they um, were isolating, is what it was. Um, and um, I mean, again, we had a very supportive family unit, um, and we did have a cousin and her husband, uh, but that was really it. Uh, so it was um, a very um, the isolation, I think, was was the hardest, and. Um, you know, from being like a normal kid in Argentina, I guess, I, my sister and I became very quiet. And that has, that really went along with us for a long time. Uh, really, that kind of fear of opening your mouth and possibly saying something wrong. Uh, it and it wrong- didn't come from my parents, but it, you know, from just the surroundings.
0: Was it because of the, um, like accent or was it more because of the being afraid that you don't know the right words in english
1: Uh, i think it was both uh but really about not not really the fear of saying something wrong uh in a way of wrong in text not necessarily pronunciation um i mean I, i lived with the question all my life like Where's your accent from? You know, where are you from? <laughs> um, I laugh
0: because I get that question so many times. I'm like, you know, if I had a penny for every time somebody asked me, yeah, that.
1: yeah, um, and and people always also trying to put you in a box. Like, ask, you must be from yeah um, Italy. I mean, I have like my genetics is like totally blended English and Italian and um uh, Spanish um you know and it's all comes together um, a quarter Jewish so you know it's also people that would ask me are you Greek are you you know this or that so that that part also was very strange um adapting to um and trying to figure it out you know what are they really looking for they're trying to put me in a box.
0: Yeah, I think people try to put in a box and try to put a label on people. And sometimes the answer is not straightforward uh, to where are you from. Um, I've had that conversation in several of my previous uh, podcast interviews of um, both people deciding that they don't want to be put in a box, as mm-hmm. well as others like myself and others I interviewed that are just not from one place like my answer cannot be i'm from there because i am a mix of things and for me when i ask people where are you from it's genuinely because i want to learn about other cultures other languages Mm -hmm. and things like that but i know that uh that question um especially lately i've noticed that question has become offensive to some people Um, and I, am not sure I understand why, um, because I genuinely want to learn about others, but I guess it, it just really depends on the context and situation. But if you don't mind going back to your like background from Italy and your grandmother, she herself was an immigrant in Argentina, right? Um, so if you can talk a little bit about her story and what made her immigrate, um, from Italy to Argentina?
1: Well, she was a teenager when she and a cousin were actually sent from Italy by her family to uh, an aunt that was already in Buenos Aires, in Argentina. And she, um, she didn't like to talk about it much. Um, She, did not like to speak Italian. Um, And um, it was really, really interesting. Um, I mean, she didn't have much of a formal education. Um, And um, so I don't, you know, it's interesting because my sister and I would ask her about her relatives and her and she did not like to talk about it Um, I don't know if it was the reason why she was sent to Argentina with her cousin Um, and um, what the legacy that she left for us was the food you know is is how we we um, and in a large portion of Argentinians are part Italian or hundred percent Italian, um, so that's part of the cuisine, um, very dominant part, so, um, but as well, she didn't like to share recipes. She wouldn't make it, but she didn't want to tell.
0: Those are top <laughs> secret, my grandma didn't like sharing them either, but before she passed, we have a notebook of her recipes that we're keeping. Uh- very, very safe. So I can definitely understand. Um, yeah. So talking about the legacy of food, I think that's one thing where immigrants like really connect uh, with their culture and with each other on is, is food. Yes. So uh, could you talk a little bit about your work right now in the food industry?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, We've always had been passionate about food in my family. I mean, it's, it's, it's a core center of everything. And just a quick little funny story. Uh, when we first arrived in the States, um, we, we walked by this, like, a, kind of like a deli and, you know, I had the, like the rotisserie chickens and the, the ribs that look delicious and all that. So. We went in, um, you know, because in Argentina, the barbecue is like the biggest thing, too. Um, So we went in and we sat down and my dad ordered uh, some ribs and um, and it turned out to be uh, have this like barbecue sauce that was really sweet. And he was so upset because they were sweet. It's like, how could you have, you know, or this this like outrage. <laughs> and, you know, we were little also, also it was like, whatever. Uh, but but that, that um, kind of that huge, like it opened up obviously for my parents, you know, this, oh, you know, barbecue can be sweet too. But initially it was such a rejection. uh because it wasn't it didn't meet the expectations but we had a lot of food experiences like that where something looked like something and it ended up being something totally different um but um so the my getting into the food industry is kind of like well uh, i've had a lot of different careers and um when um when we um my, my husband, my ex-husband, and my kids, we moved to Colorado, um, I had the opportunity to uh, be a part of this amazing uh, Mexican restaurant. And um, again, Colorado just opened up our, our menu, <laughs> <laughs> family menu, um, uh, because of the, the Southwestern influence. Um, and um, so... I became involved in one of the owners of this Mexican restaurant that has uh, had a 20 year legacy. I mean, we were open from 94 to 2014. And in the meantime, um, I mean, it was for me, it was a dream come true. When I had a family meeting uh, with my kids who were then like 10 and five and my ex, um, we talked about my getting involved in this restaurant uh, my older son, who was ten, uh, David, he said, "Mom, you have to follow your dreams." And my dream had always been to have a uh, a small restaurant that I could make people happy with food, not have to make money. Well, that's and that's a key. <laughs> Don't ever say that. Yeah. Uh, but it was really about making making people happy you know inside that feeling of satisfaction and the food has some transferred love in it and that's exactly what we did at this restaurant it was a huge location with seating 350 people wow and that's that's a big undertaking my business partner was mexican it was wonderful um and I really, I mean, we ran it. It was a 24-7 kind of thing. When you love something, you want to give it all you've got. Absolutely. So, um, so we did that for 20 years. And as a result of that, the sauces that um, we served, uh, and we, as on um, the encouragement of some customers, we entered this cook-off, chili cook-off in the community and it was for a good cause and a lot of, you know, really good things. So we said, okay, you know, we'll just help get the word out or whatever. People will taste our food. Um, cause it's hard to fill a 350 seater every single day. <laughs> so, um, and this was at the very, this was in 96. So, so we had been open for about a year and a half and, um, Here's another little story that is really inspired me too. Um, when we were getting ready for this chili cook off, Ernesto was in the back in the kitchen. It was kind of in the middle of the day and he was like putting together his like special chili, you know, for this competition and for um, and um, I was in the front of the house and a group of young people came in through the door. And um, I greeted them and they said, you know, we are missionaries and we are uh, we've been walking through the streets of Boulder, talking to young people about you know, life. And oh, I don't know. So they, have, they were all, all in their maybe early 20s. Um, so they uh, they said, would you be able to feed us, you know? at no cost (laughs) and of course i was like sure you know come on in they were they looked like they were tired and hungry and so we you know we fed them and we talked and just really really beautiful souls you know just good people Um, and they were very happy when they left and all that and um a couple of days later i uh i got a well so we went to the chili cook-off and surprisingly, we won first place for our pork green chili. It was like the biggest thing. Wow. And it was so exciting. And, and it made the papers. And um, the next like two days after that came out, we were like, we couldn't handle it almost. You know, the number of people that came in and they all wanted a side of green chili. No matter what they ate, they wanted to have green chili. So a few days later, after that, we received this beautiful little note from the group um, uh, that had come in and just amazing. I mean, I still have the letter because it just it filled my heart. Um, And they said, you know, you will be successful because you are willing to give to give back. Um, And sure enough, from that point on, after that chili cook-off, our restaurant took off. And we were, I mean, and we, and that was a pillar of our being was to give back. And education is my big thing. So we worked with a lot of schools. Uh, We fed, oh my gosh, (laughs) so many um, groups of young people. We started uh, this group of young latino graduates from boulder high school they had their special um celebration at our restaurant and over the years it grew where they took over the entire restaurant that's how many more latinos were graduating so you know a lot of a lot of like things that really fill your heart um to the point where where you realize that's your your journey you know that's 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 where you need to be um so as a result of the success of the sauces uh we kind of got a light bulb because people were coming in and buying by the quarts and by the gallons um so like okay we can package this and sell it (laughs) so that's what we're doing now so we closed the restaurant in 2014 and that was a that was kind of like i told my business partner i said you know i don't want to be a 60 year old restaurateur it's just too hard and so it was like six months before my 60th birthday we closed the restaurant uh almost 20 years to the day um and um launched our chili sauce business um where so now we're you know selling in retail uh, at whole foods so uh, our thing is healthy, delicious, exciting foods, you know, uh, that people can relate to. And when, when I, um, before the pandemic, we were doing a lot of demos um, with, you know, people tasting at different locations, and one young lady um, tasted it, closed her eyes, and said, "You just transported me to my days." at CU Boulder because they would come to the restaurant and eat at least once a week, if not more, because it was affordable. And so people would come often. (laughs) And and, um, so, and that's the kind of feeling that we want to extend with our sauces and connecting people with their culture and, you know, how they're, you know, a lot of um, Latino mexicana women have told me you know i know how to do this but i don't have the time and this is just like how i make it so thank you you know so that's the that's the kind of feedback that we get that makes it all worthwhile
0: that's amazing that made me really really hungry i (laughs) i absolutely love Mexican food. Um, One of the ways I learned Spanish when I came to uh, the U.S., so first I learned it when I lived in Israel watching Argentinian soap operas, and then I came to the U.S., and I worked for many years at a Mexican restaurant, and I learned so much Spanish, and I practiced my Spanish, and Mexican food became one of my favorites, so... Where can we buy your sauces? Uh, Where can people follow you?
1: Well, um, if you're in Colorado, you can buy it at the Whole Foods um, and Natural Grocers. And uh, Lucky's Market, several um, independents. And you can check our website for stores, um, casaalvarezfoods.com. But... um, we are now just in january launched our e-commerce so you can buy it on uh, from our platform our website shop.casalvarezfoods.com or uh, we also just launched on amazon so you can buy it on amazon and it's just it's two chili sauces one is uh, pork and our pork is humanely raised and slaughtered um and No antibiotics, just really a natural product. And we have a vegan uh, green chili Um, that is just amazing. Um, It's my favorite to cook with. And I use it even as the base of my Italian spaghetti sauce. Don't don't tell anybody. Wow,
0: that is an interesting (laughs) twist of cultures. I love it. I'm going to link all these sites and your social media and website in the bottom of this podcast episode. One uh, last thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, what is your advice to immigrants?
1: Oh, my. Um, if you can, this is a Wayne Dyer quote that I use for myself. Um, you, you can see it, then you will believe it. It's like see it, see, see where, you, where your next steps are, and then it will be there for you. Uh, Really understand understand that your journey is yours and that nobody else can set it up for you.
0: I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining the podcast. Cannot wait to order some of your sauces and
1: try them. Thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for doing this platform for all of us immigrants. I think um, I am definitely going to continue to participate listening to others uh, because that's going to fill my soul too thank, thank you.
0: you so much thank you for listening to episode number 10 don't forget to subscribe rate and leave a review on apple podcast spotify or anchor.com links to the podcast are available on my website www.alisadel.com also check out my instagram at A-L-I-S-A-D-E-L underscore to find out more about my podcast and to see the recipe. Also visit CasaAlvarezFoods.com to purchase Betty's famous Mexican chili sauce.